Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you've joined us. This is the merry month of May. I don't know where that came from except um, the work of Camelot, and it was the merry month of May that they were falling in love, the young maidens. And I have been talking about motherhood during this month of May. It's Mother's Day month. It's a good time to do it. And we're so delighted that you have chosen uh, Modern Homemakers to spend some time with our podcasts. A couple of things I'd like you to know about. First of all, I wrote a book called Loving Life as an At-Home Mom some time ago, and it is available. And we'd like to offer some free copies We'd like to offer them if you would come to our website and subscribe. Now, believe me, gals, this is not a subscription. You're going to get something every day and want to unsubscribe day after tomorrow. Um, I find that so often myself, and they refuse to let me in until I subscribe. Then I have to unsubscribe 10 days later because they send me something three times a day. This is not that kind of subscription. But it does help our metrics, and we'd be very grateful if you would do it. Then send us your hard address, and we'll send you a copy of Loving Life as an At-Home Mom. I mentioned this to the gal from Australia. Now I want to say thank you to the girl from Germany. We'll send it to you, too. It'll take a little longer, but you'll get it. So today I want to start a two-part series as we continue in this merry month of May and talking about motherhood. I think of the teachings that I have Uh, cultivated, believed in, had confidence in, this teaching of training the will versus teaching the will, training the will, may have been the most essential of all the teachings that I've ever done for motherhood. Then I've done hundreds of them. But there was the notion, the difference of how we train the will and how we teach truths. J.R. Miller, who said, too many people are not faithful in little things. I'm going to read you his piece of data. They are not to be absolutely depended upon. They do not always keep their promises. They break engagements. They fail to pay their debts promptly. They come behind times to appointments. They are neglectful and careless in little things. In general, they are good people, but their life is honeycombed with small failures. One who can be positively depended upon, who is faithful in the least things as well as the greatest, whose life and character are true through and through, give out a light to this world which honors Christ and blesses others. Luke 16 and 10 tells us that he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is also unrighteous in much. A few days ago, I talked about manners. 
And I know that some of you are shaking your heads and saying, what do you mean open the door for someone? I have trouble getting my children. Well, that's what these lessons are about. I, I just spoke to you about training the will of yourself. What is your will? How well trained is it? What kind of a holy mama are you? Do you have clean hands and a pure heart as your ultimate desire? So I think what a child really needs is, uh, okay, everybody ready for a good laugh? A holy mama, not a hoochie mama. I'm not sure what a hoochie mama is, but doesn't it sound fun to say a hoochie mama? That's it. An unruly woman, a mother, has little chance of training her child's will. Chuck Swindoll said that a few decades ago, and that quote appears in so many current pieces of material today. An unruly woman or mother has little chance of training her child's will. So this show called Modern Homemakers is designed to help women, wives, mothers, and homemakers. And then talking about motherhood, we're talking about two of those. Who are you as a woman? And then what are you doing as a mother? Whenever I prepare for these lessons, I ask myself these questions. How am I doing? And I think I've been very undependable these past few months. I know I'd like to blame it on the pandemic. Oh, better yet, I could blame it on moving. Better yet, I could blame it on the fact that we moved into a house that wasn't finished. I could blame it on all of those things. And some of those are truly reasons why I've let some small things go. I'll tell you one, and I, I can't tell you too many stories today because I have so much material I want to plug into your hearts and heads. But we have a door in our kitchen that goes into the garage. Never had a door that built that way in any house we've ever lived in. But this goes right into the garage. And it has a window. And when we bought the house, I said to my husband, oh, let's leave the window. I love having a window there instead of a door. So we have a window. And now we're moved into the house and the kitchen has been built. We actually have a kitchen to cook and clean on. And when I go into the kitchen, I walk into the kitchen, and what I can see is a car in the garage. (laughs) Because of all the things that I have not made time to do, it's to get that window covered. It's a small thing. It's a detail of our house. But I think it's an indicator of these small things, these unruly things that we said yes to. We said yes to this house. We said yes to rebuilding it. And now, let's get it finished, Otto. So there's some more practical things, and I just want to ask you a few questions you can answer for yourself. Do you get up about the same time most days of the weeks? Do you maintain your body well? By that I mean your hygiene, your brushing of your teeth, your washing of your hair, your shaving of your leg, your seeing your dentists or doctors. Is your home well-maintained? When something breaks, do you get it fixed, or do you just say, ah, we can leave that go? And how is your daily relationship with Jesus? Well, holiness, the ability to do the things that value to God and to yourself, come from the Father. It is that relationship you have with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Believing that Jesus is the Savior, believing that when you surrendered yourself to letting him be in charge of your life, that you became a woman of faith who can count on 
Christ to help you. God has given you the gift of salvation. God has given you the gift of children. And God has given you the authority to raise these children. One of my favorite pictures of Jesus is in the boat with his could I, dare I say, dumb disciples? I don't think I've ever said that before. But they weren't dumb as in dumb. They were dumb to who Christ really was yet. I love reading the Gospels because I see the progression of how people come to faith. Some of those men who said, yes, I will follow Jesus, they dropped their jobs and followed. But when asked, is he the Messiah? They were dumbstruck. Messiah? They didn't know yet. They didn't know yet. They hadn't seen him perform a miracle. They hadn't seen him do all the things that he comes to do in the three years that they are together. They haven't seen him crucified, risen, and transcended. And when they're in that boat, those disciples and Jesus, and the water gets rough, what happens? They, they, they get fearful. And where is Jesus? I love this story. I just love telling this story because I love pillows. And I just expect that Jesus, the scripture says, is fast asleep. So he's taken one of his cloaks and he's bunched it up under his head and he is fast asleep. Can you see him peacefully sleeping? And a storm comes up. He doesn't know there's a storm. He's God. And his disciples all get nervous and we're going to perish and oh my. And finally they wake him up. And they say, don't you care? And he calms the seas, and he calms their fears, and and he asks them, oh, why are you so faithless? Why are you so faithless? And I want to say to you, that God, that God who calmed the seas, that Jesus who told his disciples who he was in action and in word is your Jesus He is your Savior. He is the one who gave you these children and the authority to calm the seas of their hearts. And they need it. They need the seas of their hearts calm, and they need the places they live and the places they go to to be calm. The golden child training and rearing and teaching is not security, although they need it, not beauty, although hygiene is important, not education, while knowledge is profitable, not physical prowess, although Paul tells us to buffet our bodies, not even safety, although safety matters. That's a very big list of important things. And I'm asking you to invert that list and put something at the top of it. I'll never forget the first advertisement I saw for a little helmet to put on a small child who had gone out to the yard to play. And it was two pictures in a magazine advertisement. And the first picture was a little boy who fell and scraped his face. And the next picture is the same little boy who has a helmet on, and he falls, and he gets up, and he keeps running. I think to myself, my godchild, who's now 32 or 3 years old, he fell and cut his knee open at the train railroad park. He didn't even know what happened. He jumped up and kept running. Safety isn't the most important thing. The goal, the authority God has given you to teach our children is obedience. Obedience to God through his holy parents through his holy mama, a climate 
that wants to please God is what your house looks like. God has not changed the world as mankind was created to please God. That's how he was created. Mankind created by God, in God's image, created to please God. And training and teaching our children, but training the will of our children that they understand it's not security, beauty, education, physicality, even safety, but that obedience is the goal. Beginning with love the Lord your God and honor your mother and father. In both Old Testament and New Testament, honor your mother and father is followed by, for it is the first commandment with a promise. Mary Slessor, who was an amazing woman who walked the face of this earth, said half of the world's sorrow comes from the unwisdom of parents. Ah, still a sentence that chills me. And I think of all the things that I did not know and did not understand and how grateful I am for the teachers and mentors and pastors who directed me and taught me and for my very own desire to have clean hands and a pure heart. So this lesson, which I'm about to begin and give you the three points, is quite long. I've told you, be ready. And it's in two parts, really three parts, because I started with being a mother who is trained. The first two points I'm going to do today, and they are teaching and training, and the second is the essentials, what I call the must-dos in life. There are some must-dos, you know that? And then we'll do the specifics of training a child's will. And I have a long list of very specific things. So training and teaching the will of the child. Why train? Well, George MacDonald, the great writer, said that the will is the deepest place in a human being. The will is the deepest place in a human being. Hannah Whitehall Smith, who is famous for the writing of material that helped us as we understand that we are surrendering and that we are to be servants and he is to be in charge, describes that the will is the king, the emotions are the servants. The will is the king, the emotions are the servants. I, I, I wish that I had time to just tell you a few of the women who have told me stories, how they didn't understand that the will was the king and the emotions were the servants, and they had reversed it, or how their will, unknown to them, parts of their will that had been trained to be selfish and consumptive, unknown to them, with acting out in the way they lived their life, and they wished they didn't live their life that way. So begin to understand what your will is and what is God's will for you, and then the training and teaching of this will to your children. Second Corinthians tells us that it's not my will, but thine will to be done. Dear Jesus, not my will, but thy will. We often hear people talk about the strong will versus the stubborn will. We want a strong will. Anyone can do what he wants to when he wants to. But the child adult who knows what to do and when to do the best thing and the right thing will live a productive, fruitful life. I have to say that again. Anyone, anyone in the universe can do what he wants to when he wants to. But the child adult 
who knows when to do the best thing, the right thing, will live a productive and fruitful life. There is a difference between training and teaching, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this in this lesson particularly because I'm separating them out. This is about training the will. At birth, a child is less like any other person than he will ever be again in his life. The Proverbs, which we often go to for practical helps, they're not promises. Don't read the promise of, don't read the words of the Proverbs and say, oh, this must be a promise. If I train up the child in a way he should go, when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's not a promise. It's a practical piece of information that will help you. And may I tell you, it's very fruitful. Not a promise, but a practical truth. Training, the definition of training goes way back to the palate, the roof of the mouth. It's a verb form, which is like bringing a wild horse under submission by putting a rope in his mouth. And it was said that in very early times, the midwife, the woman who came to help deliver the babies, especially in early um, Hebraic Israel, um, the midwife, after the baby had, was delivered, would dip their finger into some sort of a juice, something they had chewed up or crushed, like a date or something sweet, and reach that finger that had been dipped into the date and rub the palate of the child as he was being born, and that automatically started the child's sucking mechanisms so that the mother would have a baby that desired to suck. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a midwife. I don't know if that's true, but I know that that piece of history is how we got this word training. It's bringing into submission. It's causing to develop a thirst for a clean hands and a pure heart. A child from an infant to a young man has been trained in the way he should go, in the way he should think in the way the virtue of God calls him to. So what is the will? The measure of willpower is the measure of personal power. The measure of willpower is the measure of personal power. The possession or lack of willpower is the possession or lack of personal power. So in every sphere of your life, the measure of willpower is the measure of your own personal power. It's staggering to me how many people, you know, hit the table and beat their fists and say, I want my power. I want to be in charge. I want to be in control. Husbands and wives, arguments, I don't care what argument it is. I don't care what the subject is. I don't care how long you've been married. When it boils all down, one of you is saying, I want my will, and the other is saying, no, I want my will. And whoever shouts loudest, pouts most, stronger, has verbal discourse, as my husband always does, being a lawyer. I think I spent the first 10 years of life studying law because I had to figure out how to combat his verbal uh, ways of using his will against me. So right or wrong, the use of our willpower is right or wrong in the truest sense. Is it right or is it wrong? The training of a child affects every choice he will ever make. The training of a child will affect every choice he has ever made. 
The question of duty always jumps in here. Remember, it's duty to God, not duty to you, not to one another, but all duty, obedience to God is the same. Duty to parents, duty to community. All of these is the will a child has to choose, to choose what it is that pleases God. Now, that sounds, even to, to my own ears, understanding it so thoroughly, it sounds a little ethereal, doesn't it? Like, well, what, how do I do that? Well, I'm going to tell you how to do that, and I'm going to make you aware of some things in the rest of this show and the next show that you want to avoid. And one of the things you want to avoid is you don't want to crush or break the will of a child. It seems like a strange question. Do you want to break or crush the will of a child? Well, I guess, no, I don't want to, no. But I think breaking causes pressure. So this is not semantics, but this is the understanding of authority and control. You will do as God says. You will do as I say, not as I do. Now, I... I didn't understand that when I had my first child, my little girl. I only had one child of my own. And I think I did try to pass on that. Even if I don't do it, you should. But I learned quickly that I not, was not training her to do my will. I was training her to do God's will. And if I was desiring to live a clean and pure heart before God then I could know what it would take to help her live a clean and pure heart before God. So in some ways, we do exert external pressure. When I'm through with these lessons, I'm going to do a lesson on to spank or not to spank. It's a heated topic today. It's been a heated topic forever because some people say they shouldn't, some people say they shouldn't. And I'm going to give you some of my thoughts and places that I would recommend you to consider. So training is not about crushing or breaking. It's about bending. It's about allowing the choice to be made properly and for good reason. So I'm not insistent. I have a dear friend um, she was a daughter of my heart. I guess she'll always be a daughter of my heart. She's 15 years younger than I am. But the ages have come together a little closer, and I consider her a very good friend. But she was telling me about her three daughters, who she dressed up in hats and gloves and frilly dresses when they were two, four, and six, and took them to a friend's house who was serving tea for the little girls. She said, I wanted it to go perfect. She described who the woman was and how perfect this woman lived her life. Quote, unquote, perfect. At least perfect to the world. And she, she, got, she got there. The little girls were adorable. And she, she scared them. She bribed them. She did everything she could to make sure they all behaved nicely for one and a half hours. That's all she wanted was them to behave nicely. And then the middle child took off, made some wild hair something. And the woman said to me, I grabbed her by the arm, and I pinched her back arm till it was red. She said, I wasn't training her will. I wasn't correcting her. I was trying to beat her into submission, <laughs> literally trying to beat her into submission. She said, I look back at it now, and I regret it. And of course, she's asked her child's forgiveness for that. 
So we're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about beating our children. We're talking about bending our children to choose wisely. We're talking about the realities of consequence when discipline fails us. If we don't allow discipline to be a part of our children's life, they will live to regret it. You will live to regret it. The Proverbs also says that the child who is not trained by his parent will grow to hate his parent. God tells us up front, if you do this, that will happen. If you do this, it will happen. If you choose wisely, you will have less difficulty in life. If you choose me, you will know where you will spend eternity. Mama, choose your batters, battles. Choose well. Know your children. How do your children respond? Do they respond to a carrot or to a stick? Do not teach or train your children that if they choose wrongly, they will be crushed. Do not train your children to be fearful, but rather give them safe place for choosing. And I'm going to pause here and tell you that I will never forget the older woman who said to me, never tell your little girl to hurry up. <laughs> I thought to myself, my little girl was three and a half or four years old by that time. And I probably couldn't count even today how many times I'd said to her in those few years, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. We were always going, 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 hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Why? Why? They need safety. They need space. When our grandchild, our first grandchild was born, he was a boy, and they lived in Michigan, and they came for Easter. And he was sitting at my kitchen table on a Sunday morning, and his mother and father and grandparents were getting ready for church, you know, getting dressed, drinking their coffee, getting their breakfast, making sure there was gas in the car, making sure the seat was in the car, you know, the kind of things that adults do. And there was Samuel sitting at the kitchen table. I'll never forget this picture because I paused and I looked and I thought, he's eating his yogurt and his fruit with his fingers. He doesn't know that his mother's going to whisk him off, wash his fingers and hands, put clothes on him and put him in the car and take him to church. He doesn't know that someone's going to drive the car. He doesn't know if there's gas or it's insured and he doesn't care. He's just sitting there having his breakfast, which is why the whole notion of helping our children have a safe place and a safe amount of time to make their choices is really important to how we train them. When wrong choices are made, there are consequences, but another opportunity will come and the loving wisdom with your help will help them choose better next time. Training the will is not breaking the will. Let me say that again. Training the will is not breaking the will. The measure of willpower is personal power. Right or wrong use measures a person. Guiding and guarding a child is the responsibility of the parents. God has given you that responsibility when he gave you that child. Training and teaching for God's will and not your will will manifest their will uniquely in each child. Do not break their spirit. 
Do not be impatient with them. God is long-suffering, and he is patient with us. Here's one of the reasons I believe your jobs as mothers is done really best if you can give it a few years of full-time mothering. It takes so much time. It takes so much patience and tender care. I have had so many women who have left careers and gone home to be home for a few years with their children full-time, and they write me and they tell me, this is the hardest work I've ever done in my life. If you think creating that report for the chairman of the board or for the courtroom or standing on your feet for 12 hours in a checkout line checking out groceries for the patrons is hard work, parenting full-time is among the hardest things you'll ever do. But its rewards are great, and its rewards are for a lifetime. Does that mean you will not raise wonderful children if you have a full-time career? It does not mean that at all. It just means that you have an opportunity to give them a little more time, to be a little more patient, to give them more opportunities to choose as they choose and suffer the consequences, good or not so good. The entire process is surrounded by a loving home, an orderly home, an order of tidiness and relationships, relationships that respect, help, discern, serve, sacrifice. They are for one another. A home that entertains angels unaware. A home that has a profound soul of hospitality. As, this, I, as I type this, this week in preparation for this, I thought to myself, oh, this sounds like it's too much to do. It's too high a goal. It's too lofty. And I wrote in pen underneath my typewritten notes, no, it is the definition of training. And it takes someone who wants to make a difference in someone's life to do this. And I know you do as a mother. As I bring this lesson to a close, I have a few things that are important to say to you. One, you will become what you want to be. Not only you, Mama, but your children. And that training provides an example. And I'm going to give you two biblical references. 1 Kings 9, 4 and 2 Chronicles 17, 3. I'm going to say that again. 1 Kings 9, 4, 2 Chronicles 17, 3. Providing an example of training. Leading and managing... Your training involves leading and managing, and the two passages are Genesis 18 and 19 and 1 Timothy 3, 4. And lastly, the difference between teaching and training. Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 21, and Exodus 10, 2. There's a report that was written by the Minnesota Crime Commission. It's traveled some distance now. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He's completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch. Deny him these things and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. If permitted to continue this self centered world of his infancy, given free reign 
to his impulsive action to satisfy his wants, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, and a rapist. I found those words so harsh, but so convicting. Now, this is the Minnesota Crime Commission who spends its world in crime with criminals. What makes a criminal? A person who wants what he wants when he wants it, and he's given it. So how do we define the difference between teaching and training? And we're going to prepare a handout that will be available on our website. It will be called Defining Teaching and Training. So let me just briefly go through this as I end this lesson. The difference between teaching and training. You train up a child in the way he should go. It's up to him to choose it. Teaching, O oh God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and I will declare thy wondrous deeds. Hear my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Teach them to learn. Now we have so many wonderful opportunities for education in our, our world. Um, I understand that in some states they're choosing to take the homeschooling out of options in our states. But for the last 40 or 60 years, parents have been allowed to go to public school or private school or homeschool. But that's about teaching data and information. Training is different. Training is directing demonstrable, observable behavior. Teaching is building on training with truths, knowledge, principles, information. Training, the goal to perform certain acts. I remember one of my young friends who said, I heard you say that, and I thought, I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to try it. And she did. She, she told me later, I trained my little girl to say, hello, my name is Abigail. Hello, my name is Abigail. She said, as I was doing it, I thought, if this works, this because it was, and so she did. And she said, they went to someone's house, and the little girl said, Hello, my name is Abigail. She said it sounded like a little parrot who was parroting, and she was. She was absolutely parroting back. And she went from there to saying she taught them, her children, both of them, a boy and a girl, nice to meet you, don't touch, no, stop. These one-word commands sometimes are very necessary for life and death situation. A child who's running into the street who has been trained to stop when their mother says stop will be preserved. Teaching, the goal is to train integrity, purity, virtue, honesty. The teaching is to teach them what is right and what is wrong. We evaluate training by observing your children and how they greet, smile, extend, give themselves away. You train long before you teach. Training is to do. Teaching is to know. Training gives skill. Teaching gives knowledge. Training shapes a habit. Teaching fills the mind. Training enables a child to make use of what he possesses. Teaching gives the child what he does not have. We teach words, we train speaking. Both must be present. One will fail without the other. 
we usually are stronger in one than another. So I don't know who you are, but I will tell you that you might guess by virtue of the work I do that teaching was much easier for me than training. I had just had one child, and I was a full-time stay-at-home mother. But I, I, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And part of that was because I was busy, busy, busy with lots of busy, busy, busy things. I had not learned to say yes or no. I had not learned how important it was to manage my house. My daughter was four and a half years old before I organized a closet, her room, the kitchen. I had no idea I needed it. And a wise old woman said to me that if you don't get it now, you may miss what God calls you to do. Later, after I got organized and wrote the book, the first book that I wrote, which is How to Get More Done in Less Time, when I finished that organizational stint in my life, about 10 years later, she came to me and she said, I know that God is going to use this in your life for the rest of your life. She's now gone. I'm still here. And she was so right. She was so right. Is there anything wrong with eating when you want, sleeping when you want, reading when you want? No, not in in themselves. It's nothing wrong with it. But this is your pattern. If this is how you're allowed to grow up, if this is how you've learned to live, living with others will be much harder. Hmm. Maybe impossible. Maybe it's just your sweet mate or your roommate or college. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's your other children. I don't know what God has in store for your children, and neither do you. Remember that relationship is what God prizes and values. You cannot have successful relationships unless you are willing to submit to others. How much harder is it if you have always been able to eat when you want, sleep when you want, drink when you want, do whatever you want? How much harder is it to be in relationship with someone else? Yale, the president of Yale, said, the chief advantage of the college curriculum is that it trains a young man to do what he ought to do when he ought to do it, whether he wants to or not. I don't know that it's the college's choice to do that, but I know that a good college will reinforce that. I like films very much. I'm always touched by films. I always come away with something very significant to myself with a good film. And I'll remember the first time I watched the movie called Saving Private Ryan. Very grueling, gruesome movie about the war. And I remembered so clearly this one piece that this is a private. One minute he is a private, and the very next minute, because so many have been slain, he is catapulted to a sergeant. He had been told what to do. If something happens, do this. If the next thing happens, do that. If the next thing happens, you're the sergeant, do that. Children should be taught that kind of training. Children must obey their parents. They must obey the laws of the land. If they choose Christ, they must obey him. It is impossible to overestimate the importance of obedience. There are things that we must do or else the consequences will get us. Forming the habit of ready, willing submission to the will of God prepares us for life. 
a child that is not trained to accept these essentials, these musts, as the proverb says, will grow to hate his father and mother. So we're going to gather together again and finish this very profound lesson, at least profound to me, with the specifics of training a child's will. And each specific I will give you some information about, and the resources for the teaching and training will be available on the site of modernhomemakers.org. If you have not subscribed, please do to do so and send us your heart address, and we'll send you free a copy of Loving Life as an At-Home Mom. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of training yourself, retraining yourself, and training your children. <laughs>